I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From PRX, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire. With the voice of public radio, Chioki Ianson, and journalist, Leah Satilli. With music from Joseph and our fabulous house band, I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Thank you. Thanks, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everybody, for coming out to the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We have a great show in store for you this week. Uh, The theme that we've picked is Voice of Reason, Mm. which relates to all of our guests uh, this hour. Uh, We asked the audience here at the Alberta Rose to uh, answer a question for us. The question was, tell us about something that you wish you had been talked out of. And we're going to read those throughout the show. (laughs) I was reflecting on on this question from my own life, Elena, and it was just hard to pick just one thing. Yeah, we're not no regrets people, I don't think. But then again, too many to mention. Indeed. But let's mention one here. The first thing that came into my head was when I was in college, I was in the drama program at the University of Washington. This is the very early stages of it. And I thought, it's time to branch out. There, Every spring was a musical that was a combination of the music department and the drama department. Okay. And I thought, this is when I'm going to really go from being a single threat, just acting, <laughs> to a double threat, acting and singing. Hell yeah. Um, my singing up to that point was limited to Christian musicals at my church, including Colby Five, God Uses Kids, Salty the Singing Songbook, Aww. and The Music Machine. I had never really auditioned for any like legitimate musical theater production. And so I just thought, well, let me come up with a song that I feel like is kind of in my range. And for whatever reason, the song I went with was... Matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof. Which I believe is a song only sung by female characters. Well, if you want to overly gender it, yes. Yeah. 
I don't know. I was like, I thought, this is in my range. <laughs> I thought, they'll just get the sense that I can kind of carry a tune. Mm-hmm. It will be sufficient. I go in there. They have like a grand piano. Someone has gotten the music for this. There's someone accompanying me. I sing the song. Everybody from the like music department is just perplexed <laughs> at what is going on. And I can just tell, like, probably 10 seconds into the song that this is not working. <laughs> I finish to just absolute silence. <gasps> they say, okay, well, thank you very much. And then I walk out and I close the door and everybody from the drama school and the music school, every student, like my age, they're all just standing outside the door waiting for their audition. The next person's audition starts and what I realize is the door is so paper thin you can hear you can hear the person breathing who's oh, auditioning. No. They had all been listening to me do this mortifying audition. I wish somebody would have talked me out of that. Aww. I did book the role of Curly. That's the surprising part. You, you no, did. absolutely not. <laughs> I was never even allowed back in the music building. <laughs> How about you? So I was mostly theater, just acting, but I could do musicals to a certain extent. And they call somebody like that an actor who sings. So she, she can memorize things, she can harmonize, she can you know, dance about an aerobics class level, but she's not gonna like, you know, belt it out. And so somebody said, here's a part for you to audition for, Elena. It's for an actor who sings. It was a musical about prostitutes called Cafe Putanesca. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I've auditioned for worse. And then I walk in, and somebody's auditioning through a paper-thin wall. I'm sitting right on the other side of it, and I hear, just like this unbelievably beautiful sound is coming out. And I was like, that is not the song that I learned. (laughs) And the door opened, and this unbelievably curvaceous, blonde, 20-year-old bombshell, who I think has a Tony now. Her name is Megan Hilty. She was, yeah, yeah, she was on that TV show Smash. Uh, She was the person who had made those glorious noises and walked out of this theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because she was a student at Carnegie Mellon at the time. And then the stage manager was like, okay, Elena, we're ready for you. (laughs) And I I I walked in, and the audition table, everybody looked like they had been in, like, a wind. Like, their hair was like... And they were like, okay, let's see what you got. I should have done something amazing with that moment, but instead I just was like... And then when it was... Before it was even over, I just sort of, like, sashayed out the door while I was singing. I just walked straight to my car. That was smart. <laughs> just got in your car, kept driving, left the state of Pennsylvania. Yep. Just kept, kept Drove going. right onto the stage of the Alberta Rose Theater, yes. where I've been ever since. And thank God. <laughs> um, what are some of the things uh, that the audience here is submitting in terms of uh, things they wish that they'd been talked out of? Uh, would you like to know what the most common noun uh, of all of these submissions <laughs> for these audience cards were? Uh, yes. Perm. <laughs> uh, here's one such uh, perm-themed answer from Jessica. Jessica wishes that Jessica had been talked out of having only a portion of my hair permed. <laughs> That's a power move. I believe that is in style currently. Um, here's one. Uh, well, this is anonymous, so I'm just going to make up who it's from. Here's one from Herman. Herman uh, wishes that he could have been talked out of wearing a Cracker Jack costume to a party with stairs. 
I appreciate that Herman didn't let, you know, society's rules stop him from doing that. That's right. You do you, Herm. Yeah. You do you. <laughs> All right, we're talking about being the voice of reason this week on LiveWire. We've got somebody waiting just off stage who spent a lot of time over the past years trying to be the voice of reason on an incredibly complex topic, specifically the rise of the Bundy family and the armed uprising that they've inspired, including right here in Oregon. Her podcast, Bundyville, has been downloaded millions of times. It was just named one of the best podcasts of 2019. Please welcome Leah Satilli to Livewire. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I read somewhere that you described yourself as being an expert on the discontent of the rural American West. You could say that. How yeah. do you end up with that beat? Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've For a long time, I've sort of specialized in covering people sort of living at the extreme edges of society. So for a long time, I was a music reporter, and that huh. just like sort of presents itself. Lots of strange, interesting people. But the more I have progressed in my career, I've kind of hung out a lot in rural America and talked to a lot of really angry people. How did, <laughs> how did the Bundy family first sort of make their way onto your radar? So in 2016, a lot of you probably know, uh, two of the Bundy brothers took over the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in southeastern Oregon. And um, the whole point of that, what they called a protest, I put in quotes there that you can't see on the radio, I guess, yeah. um, was that they wanted to see uh, these ranchers pardoned um, from being in jail for a series of events I won't get into, but they also were advocating for public lands to be transferred back to the states. So they didn't think the federal government should own land. And in order to sort of push this, this agenda, they took over a federal property um, for 41 days. And I was here in Oregon. Uh, I heard about it. I was watching office reruns in my pajamas one day. And I heard about this takeover of this federal property. And basically, it kind of changed my career. I started working on this beat. Did you Constantly. basically drive down there to Burns, Oregon? No, I actually didn't cover the standoff itself. I covered, I started covering it for the Washington Post here in Portland when the federal trial started. So I was just kind of dispatched to court by my editors to see, you know, the Bundys get paraded in and shackles. And then it was just infinitely fascinating to me from there. So I just kept pitching more and more stories and... Here I am, like four years later. <laughs> let's for, for some of the folks who maybe are unfamiliar with this family, let's start with the dad, okay. Cliven. Uh, he first sort of became somebody known nationally because he had these cattle that are grazing on federal lands in Nevada. Right. And he didn't want to pay the fees to have his cattle graze on the grass that we, the American people, own. And there was a big standoff down there, right? Like, right, in 2014. What's, what's his story? So Cliven Bundy um, is a longtime person who participated in a thing called the Sagebrush Rebellion, which essentially is kind of what these his sons were standing off on. They want to see federal lands transferred out of the federal government's hands and back to the state governments in Oregon, Nevada, et cetera. Um, so in 2014, because he had not been paying his grazing fees for 20 years, the federal government came and 
were, they were going to do a roundup and repossess the cattle, just like if you don't pay for your car payment, the bank comes and takes your car. Um, so in this case, when the federal agents arrived to orchestrate this roundup, they were met with hundreds of armed protesters supporting the Bundys and saying, you know, we will not back down and you need to let his cattle go. And they did. And, and in fact, those cattle are still grazing out there right now. That is one of the craziest parts of the story. And you talk about it in, in the Bundyville podcast. I mean, these guys are getting away with a lot of stuff that if they were not white dudes, mm -hmm. <laughs> they would not be getting away with. Like the fact that Clavin Bundy was basically the charges were dropped, right? Ultimately? So, uh, no, the charges weren't dropped. So in the case of Cliven Bundy, there was a mistrial. So what happened was um, he and his, almost all of his sons were on trial in this, you know, very, very large trial in Las Vegas. And the judge threw it out because the prosecutors had failed to disclose evidence that actually made the Bundys look good. So um, so when, when the Bundys' attorneys found that, they brought it forth and the judge thought that it was enough to, to actually throw out the case. So the charges weren't dropped. It was a mistrial. So they walked. I guess it's just surprising that considering he was, his cows were grazing on federal land. He was in arrears for like a million dollars. When the government came, he had a bunch of people with machine guns. And then the government was like, okay, good point. And the cows are still there and he's not in jail. That's just like kind of mind blowing. It certainly sends a message. And so with, with the 2016 occupation here in Oregon. Right. Which that, was his sons. Those were his sons and they were acquitted by a jury of all charges. So um, between an acquittal and a mistrial, it sends a message, I think, to the Patriot movement that, you know, you can take up arms and get what you want. We're talking to Leah Satilli. The podcast that uh, she's the host of is called Bundyville. It's amazing. It's about the season one is really about this family, the Bundy family. And then season two is about all of the stuff that this Patriot movement has really spawned. And one of the things that comes up in the show is speaking of Cliven Bundy not being convicted on this, uh, these charges, the FBI is also kind of not helping their case in certain ways. Like there are some of these militia groups, there's like four guys and three of them are undercover agents. Yeah. Is it a militia if most of the people are undercover agents? I, I mean, it's a great question. I'm, I'm not really sure that it is. And I think that this was something that I realized over the course of the reporting was, you know, when when people heard about the 2016 takeover of the refuge, it was the Bundy militia. And as I found out, you know, in my reporting, the Bundys aren't actually a part of any militia. And a lot of these militia groups are kind of one or two guys, um, or in, in some cases, they're much larger groups. But you do sort of see this really interesting game of tit for tat being played the federal government will maybe become aggressive in some way or that the that the patriot movement will perceive as aggressive and then the patriot movement will respond so it's just this kind of game of volleyball that's been going on um like there's this symbiotic relationship that they kind of need each other yeah um i want to talk more about the patriot movement and where you think it's going because you look at this stuff really closely in the podcast uh, we have to take a quick break though this is live wire radio we're talking to leah satilli her podcast is bundyville back with more in just a moment Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Have you ever noticed how kind of not great you feel after you sit at work all day? Truth of the matter is your chair is probably part of the problem. Most chairs and desks, they restrict movement, which leaves your body kind of achy. Now we'd like to tell you about Fully, designer and collector of standing desks, chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage you to move so you will feel better at the end of your day. 
Uh, I use a fully TikTok stool when I am recording these messages, and it has really changed my whole kind of physicality. After a long day, and I know it doesn't sound like a real job, maybe because it isn't, but after a long day of recording things at my home studio, sitting on a TikTok stool, I feel great. I don't feel like I've been ossifying for the last eight hours. I feel like I'm ready to go take on my evening. Uh, So I can't recommend fully highly enough. Get your body moving in your workspace like I've done. Go to fully.com slash livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRX. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater this week. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Leah Satilli. Her podcast is Bundyville. Um, the, the umbrella term for a lot of the people who come up in your podcast uh, is the Patriot Movement. And they're these folks who consider themselves to be called Oath Keepers, so, uh, Sovereign Citizens. They're all people that are deeply suspicious of the government, right? I mean, is right. that the organizing principle for yeah, most of them? Yeah, I think it's that they all sort of congeal around this idea that the federal government is, you know, uh, there's like a shadowy cabal in the background. Um, you'll hear a lot of conspiracies about like the new world order and things like that. So they they believe that the federal government is up to something and, and they don't like it. And then sometimes it kind of is, right? Like that's, I mean, well. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Can you guys stay for the next six hours? <laughs> a lot to unpack from that statement I just made. Um, it, particular in, in, in the case of, of some of these people from the, the, the Patriot movement, it's like because the federal government is investigating, because the federal government is infiltrating their groups uh, and, and not always acting um, you know, completely ethically, their paranoia sort of becomes in some way not paranoia because it is really happening. Right. I, I think that that was uh, something that I learned pretty quickly in covering this this kind of gigantic story. When I was covering the trial here in Portland, I would hear people sort of say something in, in line going in, and I'd be like, God, that sounds so crazy. But then they would turn out to be right. You know, things that um, they were talking about informants and that the refuge was just filled with with federal informants. And you're talking about the Malheur refuge I'm talking refuge about the, the Malheur refuge, Burns. yeah. And... Um, Turns out there were like 13 informants there and they were supplying, you know, tons of information. So, um, so yeah, I think you're right. There were times where things that seem like conspiracies actually were real. And then there are plenty of times that lots of those conspiracies are, are just that they're conspiracies. There's kind of a, a sort of patron saint now of the movement, this guy, uh, Robert Lavoie Finicum. Right. He was the only person who died as a result of the Malheur occupation, right? What right. happened with him and where does he occupy sort of in the imagination of these people? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, Lavoie's story is super interesting. Um, he came to the refuge after he'd gone to the Bundy Ranch standoff, Clive and Bundy's, you know, standoff with the government in 2014 and really got excited about the Patriot movement and standing up against the government and tyranny and that sort of thing. So he arrived in 2016 to the refuge and he was something of a leader, but also kind of a voice of reason. You'll see lots of media interviews with him and um, just kind of a calm, cool, collected guy in an otherwise sort of tinderbox of a situation. So um, uh, he, 20 some odd days into the standoff, he fled a uh, traffic stop where they were trying to arrest the leaders of the occupation. He drove away at high speed, jumped out of the car yelling, shoot me, shoot me, tried to reach into his jacket multiple times and he was shot and killed. And, um, 
you know, they were the only shots fired during the refuge standoff. And he's become something of a martyr for the movement. You'll see, you know, I talk about it in season two, all through the movement, you know, people have tattoos of his cattle brand. They wear hats and shirts and stickers on their cars. And it's really all about justice for Lavoie at this point. So this is, again, that kind of game of tit for tat that we see with the Waco standoff and Ruby Ridge and these kind of times where the federal government has shot people. Um, again, you know, the movement got what it wanted with 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 Lavoie. They got a, a, a new martyr. Uh, this is Live Wire. We're talking to Leah Satilli. Her podcast is Bundyville um, about the, uh, the the sort of patriot movement. Patriot, I guess, in quotes. They've branded themselves that because they feel like they're the true patriots. Sure. Um, it seems like the sort of urban-rural divide, and you think about this country and even the Electoral College and just the way that People in this country seem to be falling along urban, rural lines more and more. Um, do you think there is only going to be more of this kind of stuff? Well, I think it's important for people to know that the you know this movement didn't start with the Bundys, but I do think that. Um, it isn't necessarily an urban-rural thing. Okay. And I think that that's one thing that uh, I definitely wanted to do a second season of Bundyville to talk about that, that a lot of these conspiracy theories that maybe were held by people that we saw occupying the Malheur Refuge are really things that people post on Facebook that maybe originated in the Patriot Movement or originated in, in, in movements that people would say, like, I would never go and take over a refuge or I would never go and point a gun at the government. But these theories espoused by those sorts of people are becoming more and more commonplace. And we see that a lot with our president right now, that there's somebody that's sharing really, really fringe conspiracy theories in a, um, in a, in a way that makes them seem almost mainstream. So that's kind of this weird sort of um, upside down land we're living in, is these things that were once in the shadows are kind of not anymore. How do you cover that as a journalist? Like there's this one um, really memorable scene where you go... I think to like a Denny's in a truck <laughs> yeah. stop and you're I talking did. to this guy who's like kind of seen as a very militant and very dangerous militia leader. Right. And he is on some level starts off seeming kind of almost likable in a way, a little bit like he was, you know, entrapped by the government. But then he just starts spewing a bunch of just like racist, awful, horrible things. Right. And there are all these and we've all been in a conversation with someone where they're just throwing things out that you can't really refute because you don't like, you can't show them a piece of paper that shows that Sharia law is not taking over 70% exactly. of American cities. How do you, as a, as a journalist, even sort of maintain your equilibrium in those conversations? Uh, asking for a friend called me. <laughs> <laughs> who is, uh, has to know, go to some family things later. Very yeah. carefully. In that particular interview that you're talking about, um, I have the beauty with the Bundyville Project of working with another reporter, mm -hmm. uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting, Ryan Haas. He's a great reporter. He yeah, shout out to OPB and Long yeah. Reads, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. And in that particular interview, I learned pretty quickly with that interview subject, Bill Keebler, that he uh, doesn't really like women. So a lot of the things that he posts on social media are about women and that sort of thing. So when I would ask questions, he would answer Ryan. So we learned pretty quickly, I think, sort of looking at each other, that this there was a little bit of a good cop, bad cop situation that we could play. So um, Ryan started asking the questions that he would get an easier answer, or he could ask 
ask a tough question that he would get the right answer, I guess, out of, or a truthful answer. But then for me, there was a moment where he's talking about how Trump isn't going to come after militias and he's not going to come after Basically, he's fine. He would be really upset if Obama had declared martial law. Side note, that wasn't going to happen. But if Trump did it, he'd be fine with it because he's not going to come after the good guys. And so I say, you mean, do you mean he's not going to come after white people? And he did not react very well to that. But, you know, all the context of that interview, which you can hear, is that's exactly what he means. Right. So yeah. so that was the sort of question that I was like, he already doesn't like me, so I will just ask these questions. And, you know, I always say, like, to my journalism students and stuff, um, you save your kicked out of the room questions for the end, you yeah. know. So maybe that's what you guys are going to do here for me. But like, <laughs> Yeah, we actually, we actually kind of have a doozy here, Leah. <laughs> You save those for the end, so I just figured, why well, yeah. save them for the end? I'll just ask him now. He doesn't already. He already You'd already had your moons over my hammy. They'd brought the check. <laughs> right, exactly. You were ready to leave that yeah. Denny's. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, as a rule, I think it's sort of a case by case thing. Um, you know, I've interviewed lots of people, and I kind of let people go on and on a little bit long sometimes to try and hopefully get to the answer that I'm, you know, or the question that I'm hoping to ask. Uh, you and the other folks working on this show, Bundyville, have spent a lot of time steeping in some pretty dark stuff. Right. What is your next project? Something involving ice cream? Possibly puppies? It's <laughs> a great, actually a great question. I was just having a discussion about backstage that, I, you know, I'm a freelancer, so I always am kind of hoping that I you know, do something that people like enough or that it does well or makes a change that it begets new work. That doesn't seem to be happening all the time. Really? So I'm always uh, kind of not sure what I'm going to do next. You know, I know what I'm interested in. It's just a matter of getting somebody in the national media to care. And it happens to be that I write a lot of stories that take place in the West. And right now, you know, people are pretty focused on the Beltway. So well, if only you were on a radio show that's on hundreds of stations yeah. around the West. Yeah. <laughs> Hire Leah Satilli. She's amazing. And the show Bundyville is incredible. Please check out both seasons. Leah, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. Livewire is brought to you by Alaska Airlines. Even for the proudest Pacific Northwesterner, Alaska Airlines offers a change of pace from scenic Portland greenery to a desert sunset or seaside cityscape. Alaska Airlines connects Portland flyers to over 130 destinations from Chicago and New York to Maui and Phoenix. Learn more about where they fly at alaskaair.com. Livewire is supported in part by Handsome Pizza, who feeds the Livewire team with delicious wood-fired pizza before each show. Listen, I love being a public radio host. I come in week after week, one, because, well, they pay me, but two, because I get to have free Handsome Pizza before the show. Did you know that for eight years, Handsome Pizza has been serving thin crust pizzas featuring locally grown grains and produce? to handsome Portlanders just like you? If you want to get your hands on some of their handsome pizza, head on over to the corner of Northeast Killingsworth Street and 16th Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Handsome Pizza, the official pizza sponsor of Livewire. 
This is Livewire Radio. Our theme this week is Voice of Reason. We asked the audience here at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland to tell us about something they wish they'd been talked out of. Elena Passarella has been collecting those responses. What uh, are people saying? Uh, here's one from Walt. Walt uh, would have liked to have been talked out of those pet rats and their rat condo from a friend who was relocating. They'll be good pets for your kids, she said. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm, I can't even go there with the idea of pet rats because... I am very, very sympathetic to animals at this current moment of my life. Mm -hmm. And rats are the only things that are still on the list of things that I'm like, ooh, gross. Mm. But if you humanize rats, if Disney, well, I guess they had Ratatouille, oh, right? such a good movie. I can't watch that. That's a documentary, right? That's the, yeah. I can't watch that movie because <laughs> I need to have at least some animal on the list of animals I can just kind of scorn. You need to just not worry about one species. Like if I see a cute rat mm -hmm. video on like YouTube or something... Forget about it. <laughs> Sorry, next one? No, that's okay. Um, here's, uh, here's Julie's answer. Julie wishes she had been talked out of letting her groom keep his mullet. <laughs> that's also back in style. I learned that on TikTok. I... I... <laughs> Well, funny that you should ask. Carly's thing that she wishes she had been talked out of is downloading TikTok. Uh-huh. Carly, meet me after the show. <laughs> we need to start some kind of a support group. <laughs> what else are you seeing? Uh, here's one from Jessica. Jessica wishes uh, she had been talked out of DIY electrical work. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any things that you tried to do yourself that you wish you could have been talked out of? Oh, like so many, but just, <laughs> Knew it. yeah, I mean, I would have DIY'd the electrical at my house, but my wife was like, there's no way that this is allowed to happen mm -hmm. because it's so expensive to do that. And I'm like, we have YouTube. Yeah. You seem to be the a kind of a swashbuckler when it comes yes, to home repairs. I do. I, I, we had to put in something called crown molding, mm -hmm. which is, um, this is the really interesting part of the show. So everybody just buckle up. Crown molding is very complicated because it needs something called a compression miter cut. Dang. It's, two things are happening. It's kind of being cut in two directions because the crown molding is sitting between the top of the wall and the bottom of the ceiling. I was had a laptop next to the chop saw. I would wait until Bob Vila was at exactly the same point, and I would freeze it, and then I would do what he did. And that's how I put crown molding in, like, half of my old house. Did it and work? No, it looked like shit. And when I was selling the house, I was like, I hope to God nobody looks at the crown molding. And then Bob Vila bought your house. Yep, that's how that happened. as well. Our theme this week is voice of reason. I'm going to be honest, we pretty much picked that theme because of our next guest. His voice is so reasonable, in fact, that NPR chose him to basically be the voice of the network. He's this guy. Support for NPR comes from Americans for the Arts, committed to transforming America's communities through the arts and arts education. That guy is here with us right now. When he's not doing that, he's also a motorcycle enthusiast, philosophy buff, and assistant professor of African American Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University. Please welcome Chioki Iansen to Livewire. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? 
It's just like a superpower. <laughs> Chioki, welcome to the show. I am very happy to be here. This is my first time in Portland. Yeah. You guys have rain. <laughs> you hadn't heard? Um, Chioki, you are an academic. Were sure. you a, you're a professor. You're a very bright guy. Were you a voiceover person before you got tapped to have this job for NPR? Uh, so I guess that I, when I, as soon as I got to college, I went around to the radio station and I did radio stuff. So I had like a, I had a slow jams show. <laughs> really? Yeah. I did, actually, I did the same thing that Marvin like, Gaye did where I went straight from like gospel to slow jams. So like, first I had a gospel show and then I had like the, the late night kind of like, you know, Adina Howard, yeah. Jodeci, right. Slow Jams show. Yeah, a little, a little woo for Jodeci out here. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you did some college radio, uh, but w- were you auditioning for this job? Like, how did this come about exactly? Oh, man, it was super random. I was doing some podcasty stuff with my, my, my podcast partner, Kelly Jones. She's super dope. Um, and we, we ended up at the Story Lab at NPR, and we pitched our story, our, like, podcast idea. And in the audience was, like, the people who work on the underwriting team, right? And uh, a, very, a very kind of wise dude named Izzy Smith was like, hey, kid, I, here's my card. I need you to do an audition. And I was like, for what? I don't know what's going on. And, um, yeah. And so then, and then, like, months later, I did this audition, and then they offered me the... What did, they, what did you actually... Was it, like, Lumber Liquidators? What did you have to read? I, I can't remember, but it was definitely something that was already on the rotation. In rotation. So did you get the yeah. sense of what you were really trying out for at that point? Yeah, yeah. By that, at that point, I knew. And it was, and, you know, it was crazy because, like, the underwriting voice on NPR is, like, the most heard voice because it's after everything and in the middle of everything and et cetera. Like, some would say it's a little too played. Um, and so, and so, and so for me, like as a, like I was one of these nerds who was like in the driveway, like, like not getting out of the car because yeah. I wanted to hear the end of the radio show. Right. Like I, I was like one of those guys. And so then the, the listen, these people paid money <laughs> to be at a thing that will be on the radio for free this weekend. <laughs> They're with you. Yeah, yeah. You all are ridiculous. Yeah. So, so, so you yeah. were really into public radio. I was, I, I'm, I'm, I was and am really into public radio. And so then uh, to have this, this gig, it's, it's, it's strange and surreal because the, the way that I used to know it was NPR was when I would hear, like, the underwriting guy come on, right? And so it's very strange and kind of humbling to be a part of now the underwriting team. Do you ever get voice recognized? Does somebody ever hear your voice and go, I know you? I do, but it's only ever in close proximity to people like these people over here. (laughs) (laughs) Like public radio fans. Yeah. Right? There are some hot zips for that. Some target-rich environments where, like, you, you know, like if you're in a used bookstore. Yeah. Probably they might. Or the the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago. Speaking of which... Okay, speaking of which, Chioki, you and I met uh, for the first time because uh, you were filling in, like, at the total last minute for Bill Curtis as the announcer on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and you did such a good job. It was incredible, but, like, were you nervous? You seemed pretty chill. 
I mean, I was as nervous as a human could be. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, first off, just, just to, to be clear, I, was, I had been harassing anyone I knew that had worked for Wait, Wait for like months. Like, hey, you know what you should do is uh, let me on the show. Okay. <laughs> now, to be clear, I never thought this would happen. It was, it was a joke to me. Um, but then uh, one night I was like in my pajamas going to sleep and I got a call from Ian Chillag, the executive producer of Wait, Wait. He was like, hey, man, uh, so uh, do you want to? And I was like, when? And he was like, tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I was totally, totally shook. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. for me to step in for, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know I'm saying like Bill Curtis, who who like stepped in after Carl Castle. Like, yeah. oh yeah, sure. Like, throw old Chokey in the mix. <laughs> um, we're talking to Chioki Ianson. He is one of the voices of NPR underwriting. But let's be honest, the best one. Um, a lot of people. Uh, you know, hate the sound of their own voice, or if you hear, you know, a message you left on someone's answering machine, which it's not the 90s, so I guess it doesn't happen anymore, but <laughs> I, I will even say to the degree that I will occasionally catch my voice on the radio unexpectedly, it is horrifying. You're on NPR five times every hour, 24 hours a day. Are, are you used to it yet? No, 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 no. Really? So, so part of my problem is that I also love NPR podcasts. And so uh, I'll put on like a podcast and be like listening very intently. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, you know, now they don't even say after the break, well, they just like stop and then the underwriting plays. And so then I'll be thinking about the story and then suddenly hear myself selling me. You'll be like, I didn't even do this crime. Yeah, no. Why am I no, suddenly talking? No, no, no. It's like, it's jarring. It's not, it's not great. I think that, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if everyone who's in the broadcasting thing has a thing about their, like, their own voice, but I know that I don't like hearing my own voice because I always feel like, oh, I could have done that better. And so then, so then therefore, what I'm hearing is just like a record of my failure. Yeah, you know I mean, <laughs> yeah. I am, get out of my brain, Chioki. <laughs> I will actively turn the radio station if this show is on. Don't do that, please, at home. Yeah, no. Please no. keep listening. Yeah, please listen to us. Please. Yeah. We just don't listen to us. That's all. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you're you teaching a podcasting class at yeah, Virginia? Yeah, it's called uh, Podcasting Wild Black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once again, Africana studies is itself a kind of methodology that takes into account the works of the African diaspora, right? Like, it's a thing that anybody can study. It's a thing that probably some of y'all should be studying. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, that whole thing, right? Um, yeah, but the... What the, are the particular challenges or the things that you're trying to teach these students about well, podcasting while black? Well, the basic conceit of the class is not really about the podcasting itself, but is about like methods of explaining yourself. And so what I say is that, okay, well, here are these thinkers from the African diaspora, like, and we use Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, and Audre Lorde. And we say, let's examine the way that they explain things. Let's examine the way that they structure their speeches and their papers. And then you can mirror that structure in your own kind of podcast pilot. So it's a, so it's a, the, the core is a studying of, of rhetoric. And then around that is all the technical stuff that goes into producing a podcast. Everyone who doesn't have a podcast thinks it's mad easy to have a podcast. Yeah. And you just go in and you just hit record. And then you just like talk about the stuff that you like and all that. And so then the first day of class, I'm like, that sucks. 
<laughs> you cannot do that in my class. You have to do the following things. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a, of a shock for, for, for some students who had that myth about podcasting. Who do you think rhetorically would be the best podcaster of those three thinkers that you named based on the way that they structure their arguments? I think Frederick Douglass would have a good run. Um, <laughs> I think you'd have a good run. I mean, so the, the, whole, the whole thing about the way that Douglass frames, uh, there's this oration that he did in the, the 4th of July oration. And so, like, he, he kind of structures it where the meaning of the speech is, like, hidden, and it only, like, unfolds itself in the second half of the, of the speech, right? And so, and so then because of that, it, it does that thing where that a good narrative, a good story does, where it kind of, like, sucks you in, and then it does a subversion. And so that in its, of itself is a good kind of explanatory method, especially if you're worried about perhaps winning the crowd to your side or, or, or that kind of thing. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I like what you're doing too with having someone that's not of your generation or their generation, like Frederick Douglass or Audre Lorde, and having a, a, a younger person look at someone generations ago and finding themselves in the way that they structure arguments. Cause that's got to teach you too, right. About the way that they're breaking apart the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, look, there's a kind of, you know, universalism in, in, the, in the classic texts, right? Like there's a reason that really old stories still appeal to us. And there are methodologies for thinking that were laid out by people thousands of years ago right. that are still working quite strong. And so then the, the, the task then for us as, as people of modernity is to sift through the past and try and figure out what remains useful and what the secrets of reflection and, and reason and explanation might be that we can kind of carry forward, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever have to just play the I'm the voice of NPR card with your students? And does that get you any cred at all? <laughs> they could not care less. <laughs> They don't care at all. Like, I mean, seriously, you know, uh, I, I, I'll sometimes be like, guys, no, trust me. Like, I really, like, I, like, I do stuff, you know. <laughs> and then, and, and they'll be like, what kind of shoes are those? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, right. it's, it's, it's real rough out there. Yeah. Chioki Ianson right here on Livewire. You can catch him on NPR probably right now on some station. We're going to have more with him in just a moment. Hey, special thanks this episode to Lindsay Mazur of Portland, Oregon. Lindsay is part of the Livewire member community and generously supports our show with a donation each month. And we're very thankful for that support because honestly, that's how we're able to keep doing the show. So a huge thanks this week to Lindsay Mazur. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We were at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland talking to Chioki Ianson. All right, Chioki, you are the guy who reads the ads on NPR, and then presumably, because of your dulcet tones, those companies sell a lot of whatever it is that they make. There are some others, though, that could really use your help. For instance, people selling stuff on Craigslist here in Portland. <laughs> stuff that nobody wants. We were hoping you could lend your advertorial vocal skills in a little project that we're calling Craigsmist. Can't sell my stuff. 
Livewire House Band, everybody. So, Chioki, we have these, these ads from Craigslist here in Portland, and we were wondering if you would mind just reading them in that classic Chioki Ianson style that we all know and love. Um, I also want you to know that we had to forward these to standards and practices at NPR. <laughs> so these have all been cleared. If you choose to, you're allowed to read them, but you also don't have to, you have agency. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Extremely used dog bed, $10. <laughs> dog has definitely broken this in, but it's still totally good. Are there stains? Yes. <laughs> Smells? Very much so. <laughs> Will your dog notice? Maybe. <laughs> Price to move. Bring some gloves. There you go. Somebody's going to buy that as soon as this goes out of the air. I'm interested now. I know, I, right? <laughs> All right. Okay. Luke, this one's going to be for you. This is Chioki Ianson giving one of these Craigslist ads a glow up. Here we go. Need a Zelda master? World's best Zelda player will coach you for $5 an hour. Watch me play and learn for yourself. Or you play and I can help you get through the hard parts. Once in a lifetime opportunity to be educated in person by a certified Zelda master. Bitcoin only. <laughs> I think we have, time for, we have time for one more. I'll let you choose between free brunch you in and someone who's selling a human-sized hamster wheel. Unbelievable. But we need you guys. You guys, right. we need complete silence while this is happening so the people selling this stuff can use the tape. Yeah. Human-sized hamster wheel. Pretty sure it can support a human up to 200 pounds. Have not actually tested it out. Full disclosure, we were very high when we thought this up and built it. Also available, 50 pounds of shredded newspaper. I mean, what can't this guy class up? Chioki Ianson, everybody. This is Live Wire. Our musical guest this week is a band with a guy's name, Joseph, which is actually comprised of three sisters who got their start right here in Portland, Oregon. These days, they're kind of turning into a pretty big deal, headlining a national tour. They've got a new album out, Good Luck Kid, which Paste Magazine called the biggest, boldest, and most realized thing they've released so far. We are so excited to have them back on Live Wire. Please welcome Joseph to the show. Hello. 
I'm so happy to be here right now. Natalie, Allison, and Megan, welcome back to the show. You got it. And um, two of you are twins. Yep. Did you guys grow up, I mean, were you singing together as little kids? Were you, was it that household where there's just like always something going on? It no. was just me. Just Natalie. <laughs> really? <laughs> Standing on the mantle, making sure everyone looked at me at all times. <laughs> Our home videos are fun. <laughs> did the other two, did you know that you could sing? Um, oh, barely. Yeah. Just a little bit. But um, we didn't sing much until high school. Like when my, our mom was a drama teacher and our class was small, we didn't have enough people that could sing. And so she forced us into it. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. That's a really different outcome than Elena and I had in our various auditions. Truth. Truth. I guess if it goes bad, you're on this side of the stage. Yeah. My heart went out. And if it goes well, you're the, you're the band Joseph. You guys are crushing it. What song are we going to hear? Green Eyes. Wanna, yeah. We do a song called Green Eyes. When we were told about the theme, um, we decided to start with this one because it's the complete opposite of the voice of reason. Perfect. <laughs> All right. This is Joseph on Livewire. Clipping away a moonlight the dashboard Passenger window rolled down That got me thinking there's something we should talk about It's not worth waiting If you need it, you can walk away. I'm leaving. It's right in my mouth. I got used to the taste, but I'll swallow it. And I'll be fish to say those green eyes of my green light. Give me up on control. You see red lights. I see me blowing straight through to you. If we
thought I could read you But I lost my place now I'm on different pages and need you Thought I could read you But I lost my place now I'm on different pages and need you Thought I could read you But I lost my place now I'm on different pages and need you Thought I could read you Wow. That is Joseph right here on Livewire. That's going to do it for our show this week. Big thanks to our guests, Leah Satilli, Chioki Ianson, and Joseph. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Foley, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development director. Tim Harkins is our production director. And Christian Sager is our marketing manager. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A.L. Alvis. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. And our on-air mix is by Corey Schreppel. Thanks so much to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank members Blaine West and Susan Kaminsky of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. 
Uh, thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 